This morning's scripture is from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. Thanks be to God, indeed. Thank you, Stephanie. We uh, continue today uh, our new sermon series called Ways We Wreck Our Lives. That's a difficult thing to say very fast, but I got it. And uh, today we're going to be talking about, of all things, money. As someone said, did I draw, draw the short straw? I don't know. You could talk to Rick about that. But uh, in any case, we're talking about money, and uh, it certainly is something that can wreck our lives. And uh, in light of that, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we consider his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the love you have for us, the fact that we are your children and that you have provided uh, so much for us in Christ. And Father, we thank you for the fact, uh, quite simply, that you've given us your word and that uh, you speak to us through it. And so, Father, I pray that you would take this very familiar passage and use it in our lives. Help us, Lord, to see you anew. Help us, Father... Uh, so that you would work your pleasure in our hearts and in our lives in this very practical area of life, uh, uh, the money that we all need and that you know that we need and uh, that we uh, need to provide uh, the things uh, in our life that are necessary. And, um, but there's a lot more to it than that. So, Lord, would you be the one who teaches us today? We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, like I say... Uh, Great ways to wreck your life. Money is certainly one of them. And I thought we'd start off this morning with a, a little video clip uh, from someone who's uh, well-known in regard to what he has to say about money. So uh, take a look and listen and see what you think. If I were a rich man, if I were a wealthy man, you wouldn't have to work hard. Lord, who made the lion and the lamb? You decreed I should be what I am. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan? If I were a wealthy Oh, I just love that uh, video clip. If I were a rich man, if I were a rich woman, as the case may be, that would solve everything, wouldn't it? 
Uh, if you hear the whole song, you see that Tevia, the character there from Fiddler on the Roof, by the way, um, he definitely thought being a rich man would solve all of his problems, and he talks on and on about it. He says he'd bid, build a big, tall house with room by the dozen right in the middle of the town. Not on the outskirts, right in the middle of the town, you know. Uh, his wife, Golda, would be putting on airs and strutting like a peacock. Oh, what a happy mood she's in. No, I'm not going to sing all this stuff. But uh, screaming at the servants day and night. Man, that would just be it, wouldn't it? And uh, finally, the most important thing he said would be that people would come to him to advise them. Oh, that would be great. And, uh, and it doesn't really matter if you're right or wrong because when you're rich, they think you know. So being rich would be a wonderful thing in this guy's mind, and, um, well, things haven't changed much, have they? Uh, we often fall into the same traps and think the same way, and maybe we don't think we need to be rich, although really in America we all are, but if we just had a little more, if we just had a little more, then it would be great. Uh, if we had a little more, then I could have the latest iPhone instead of the little small 4S that I have. I'd have, what is it, 7 now, 8, 16, whatever. Um, clothes with the right designer label on them so that everyone at school would realize how hip I am. A house with everything I wanted. A two-car, a four-car garage, whatever it is. I could finally have that car that would be the statement who, of who I really am. And yes, it's a Mustang for me. <laughs> the cash to shop whenever it strikes me. Uh, all these things that would solve our problems and make us happy if we were a wealthy woman or a wealthy man. Or maybe... Some more sober kinds of ideas come to mind, but you still have the same mentality. But maybe you just wish you had enough money to pay the bills. Or maybe you wish you had a little more so that you could buy your kids something special for once this Christmas. Or maybe you wish you had enough to live in a safer neighborhood than the one you do. But in any case, we think in all these circumstances and so many more that we could talk about, yes, then, if I were a wealthy man, if I were a wealthy woman, that would solve all problems. Now, let's be real for a moment. Uh, of course, money itself is not evil. There is nothing evil about money itself. Uh, in fact, you have to have some in order to have a place to live and to have food on the table and to have clothes on your back and all the things that we need for sure. And Jesus even promises us that he knows about that and that he provides these things for us. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verses 25 and 26 of Matthew, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, life not, more, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And certainly you are. And so that maybe brings us back then to Tevia's question, um, would it spoil some vast eternal plan <laughs> if I were a wealthy man or a wealthy woman? And I think what Scripture tells us is that, well, actually, it might. Us being wealthy might spoil some vast eternal plan, the vast eternal plan that God has for your happiness. Being wealthy might just spoil that. And there's some passages that get at this. If we look uh, first off at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, uh, we have a bit of a warning about all this. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, again, not money, but the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And one more place in the, uh, whoops, get back. Nope, 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 nope. Here we are. Yes, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, uh, this is where Jesus is telling us the parable of the sower. And remember, the uh, sower went out with seed and it fell on different kinds of soil. And one of the kinds of soil was the uh, soil that had thorns, Matthew 13, verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And he explained what that meant later in verse 22, where he says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Wow, those are some uh, strong, strong ideas there, aren't they? People who have wandered from the faith, ruin and destruction, and the deceitfulness of wealth. Thing is, I think we'd all admit, if we thought about it much, that we don't need Scripture to tell us this. I mean, the Bible is true, it's inerrant, it's inspired, and all that, and so we know this because we believe it because the Scripture has told us, but life bears this out too, doesn't it? We see this in, in life as wealth, uh, the uh, deceitfulness of wealth. So now to the picture that's tried to sneak up on us. Uh, has wealth deceived you to the point where you have painted yourself into a corner? You've painted yourself into a corner because you've bought so much stuff already and you have it on credit and you have so many bills and, and all the rest that you have no margin. You have no room to do anything else now. So the next thing that comes along that you'd really like, you can't buy it because you have no money in your budget and your credit cards and everything else is all maxed out. You can't buy anything else. You have painted yourself into a corner. And maybe your budget works as long as nothing goes wrong. And we know how life is, right? Plenty goes wrong. <laughs> but if something does go wrong, we're toast. So if an unexpected medical bill comes along, or an unexpected child comes along, or an unexpected roof repair or replacement comes along, you're done. Wealth can deceive us into painting ourselves into a corner. Uh, wealth is, or money, I should say, is certified to be the number one reason for marital strife. Uh, People argue over money, apparently. I can't believe that, but uh, supposedly that's the case. Uh, everything from how to spend what you have to things like blaming your spouse for not having a job or blaming your spouse for not having a job that pays more, pressuring a spouse to stay in a job they hate but pays well and enables us to have all these wonderful things that we have or the things that we want to get. For those and all sorts of other reasons, um, money can be one of the main reasons for marital strife. Now, often that means there's something deeper underneath it, but it's the sort of apparent or surface reason for a lot of strife. And finally, has wealth deceived you to the point where you believe that it is the scorecard of your worth? How worthwhile you are as a human being gets wrapped up in maybe your salary. Say, do you compare your salary to your coworkers? Do you compare your salary to your friends? When you go to other people's home in your life group, do you compare your house to theirs and then decide whether you're a somebody or a nobody based on all of that? If you're thinking of your worth being wrapped up in how much money you make, wealth has deceived you. And finally, are you angry with God like Tevia because you don't have more money than you do? Is your theme song the same as Tevia's? 
Be honest. Now, remember, uh, last week Rick gave us this uh, little test. We don't often have tests in church, but, you know, we had this list of 10 different items, and he had these questions, and we were to ask ourselves and put check marks by them. One of those categories was money. How many check? I dare say all of us probably had at least one check mark by money. How many check marks do we have? Well, as you're pondering that, ponder this. Listen to this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, and we could easily add any number of things. Today, we're going to add money. We're messing about with money when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, you might look at that little boy and think, well, he looks like he's having fun in the mud there, but what would it be like to be at the beach having that same kind of, doing those same kinds of things and with the ocean and all sorts of things? He has no idea what he's missing out on. And the point there that Lewis is making is we're not, we're, we're sometimes clueless ourselves. And if we think it's money that is going to buy us happiness, if you will, we're settling. We're settling for something that is second best. If you look for money to bring you happiness, to borrow a phrase, you're leaving money on the table because there's something far better out there. There's something that really will bring you happiness that money cannot. Again, let's look at some scriptures that get at this. Uh, The Lord Again, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Or maybe think of how the stock market can go up, but it can go down and take it all away. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And from uh, Peter's letter, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We have an inheritance that is coming our way that is going to be beyond what we can imagine, just like that boy from mud pies to a holiday at the sea. But this isn't just about the future. This isn't just about, really, I should say, eternity. It makes a difference right now. We have riches that we have right now. If you remember uh, our series in Ephesians, almost the very first thing out of Paul's mouth in that letter is how we have every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms, and that makes a difference in our lives right here, right now. So as we think about that, let's go back now to Luke chapter 19 that uh, Stephanie read for us earlier and consider that and look at how that applies to us right now the riches we have in our life here. So as we go back to that, let's look first of all at the first couple of verses. There it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And uh, we probably should have arranged to have the kids come up and sing the song. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he, he climbed up in front of a tree, the Lord he wanted to see, all that sort of stuff. Unfortunately, I think we look at that passage and all we think about is that cute little song. But it's really a deep, profound passage. The first thing we see is Zacchaeus, and we will find out that he's short later. 
But here we find out, first of all, that he's a chief tax collector and that he was wealthy. Now, if you've ever read much of the New Testament at all, you've noticed probably that tax collectors are put in the, they're, they're lumped really with prostitutes as the lowest of the low, the sinner of sinners, chief tax, uh, tax collectors and prostitutes, and how Jesus would hang out with them and how awful it was that he would hang out with such sinners. Now, even today, people don't often admit that they work for the IRS. I mean, you know, it's, it's just kind of, they're afraid of what you might think of them, uh, which is why I don't tell people much I'm a pastor, because they assume too many things when they hear that. But, but this is very different. This is so different. Because tax collectors back then were Israelites, but they were Israelites who worked for the hated Romans. You know, the Romans had invaded and conquered Israel, and then they had these taxes they wanted to extort from all the people there, which they did this in every country they uh, took over, by the way. But they would hire the nationals, the locals, who, to uh, get the taxes from their own neighbors. So that was bad enough, and it essentially made you a collaborator with the Romans. Now, that, that, that was hard enough to take. But the thing is, the pay that these tax collectors got was over and above the amount that they were supposed to collect for the Romans. In other words, they were to steal from their neighbors more than what the Romans required them to get, and that was their pay. So as you can imagine, their neighbors didn't really appreciate that too much. (laughs) Stealing from them in the name of Rome and to line their own pockets. Why would they do that to the people they knew? Why would they do that to their own countrymen? I can imagine them saying, well, the money was good and somebody had to do it. And so they did it. So they weren't very popular, It basically is the point. So that's Zacchaeus. That's who he is. And he's a chief tax collector, so he's really wealthy. And I'm sure he had a, uh, a house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of the town, so to speak. But let's look at the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So... Um, So Jesus is coming through Jericho where Zacchaeus lives. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, there it is, he could not see over the crowd. And that is just kind of an interesting thing that uh, nobody would let him through. In other words, he was in the back and nobody, he tries to elbow through. No, get in the back, buddy. So he ran ahead and climbed up the tree to see him. So he wanted to see Christ and then check out what happens. Having never met before, having never spoken a word to each other before, Jesus comes along, sees him up in the tree, and I'm sure he smiles when he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. My goodness, the chief of sinners, the chief tax collector, and you're going to hang out with him? Jesus didn't seem to care what people thought of him, did he? And he seemed to make a habit of doing this, of just going up to people and having them follow him. The other tax collector, one of the disciples, Matthew, he came up to his tax booth one day and said, follow me. And Matthew left his tax booth right then and there to follow Christ. Jesus came up to James and John later on. They were working with their father. Their business was this fishing business that they had. He comes up to them. He says, follow me, leave your nets and follow me. And they do so. There was something about Jesus. There is something about Jesus still today that when he calls you, 
You just follow him. But in this case, particularly, it's hard to imagine. I, and think of the crowd who were there. It's the worst of all, the no-good scum of the earth, Zacchaeus, that he's going to his house to eat with? He's probably really more prodigal even than the prodigal son that we know of in the parable of the prodigal son. But Zacchaeus, too, comes to his senses and welcomes Jesus not only into his house, but into his heart. Let's go to the last few verses now. And so uh, we see what goes on, how the former thief responds to this. Look at what he does. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. He doesn't say I'm going to start giving half of my income to the poor. Half of my possessions, what he owns, assets, he's going to give to the poor now. This is huge. Here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody, and I I imagine a lot of people said, if, (laughs) nevertheless, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What has happened here? The guy who before was all too willing to steal from his neighbors is now giving back more than he has to, not just paying them back, but over and above, and giving money to the poor and all the... What has happened? What has happened is that Jesus has called him. Jesus has transformed his heart when he called him. And now Zacchaeus knows that he's a truly wealthy man. It's not that if I were, I am a truly wealthy man. He knows that he has found something, someone far more valuable than all the money and all the possessions that he's had. And when you have, the only way I can think of it is if you have a wad of $100 bills in your pocket, giving nickels away is really not such a big deal. He's got Jesus, so his possessions and money really aren't much by comparison. And he is more than willing to give them away for the benefit of others. An amazing transformation of heart by this man. And what hits me here, among many other things, is that the crowd was watching. The crowd was watching all this, right? Because what was said right at the beginning, look at the top of the uh, screen there. All the people saw this when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And so, you know, they see this and they're like, what's going on here? But what Zacchaeus then goes on to say uh, proves to them that he was a sinner, but now he's a sinner who's been saved by grace. Because the change and the transformation in his heart has been revealed by his actions that follow as a result. He's now a sinner saved by grace. And it hits me, and this brings us now to us, is that the crowd's watching us today too, aren't they? The crowd out there is also watching us. How often do we hear the charge, hypocrites, laid at our feet? Now, many times I don't think they understand what they're talking about, and it's really an unfair criticism, but not always, for sure. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves regardless is this. Is there anything about your relationship with your money, my relationship with my money, that says anything about Jesus? 
Is there anything about our relationship with our money that says anything about the transforming work of Jesus Christ in our heart? Or does money still deceive and tyrannize and stress us out just like it does everybody else? Do we spend our money to build his kingdom through giving our tithes, through gifts to missionaries and other ministries, to charitable organizations that help the poor? Or do we spend it all, or essentially all, on ourselves? Now we need to ask these questions, not out of to feel guilty, this is not about feeling guilty or shame or anything else like that, but something much more profound is why we need to ask these questions. Because First off, we have such an amazing opportunity to preach the gospel to people. I don't know if you've noticed it, but our world's kind of (laughs) lost. And we have an opportunity to show something about the gospel, much as Zacchaeus did to the crowd around him. And that's simply by them seeing the freedom that we enjoy, the peace that we have, uh, the freedom from the deceitfulness of wealth and the tyranny and the stress that so many have, from the almighty dollar's role in their lives. We all know the amazing testimony, for instance, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That story in Daniel, you remember, where Nebuchadnezzar trotted out the idol of gold, that tall statue that was made of gold, and everyone was to bow down to it, right? The three of them did not, and it, they stood out, didn't they? I mean, literally, they're standing out. And it, it was an amazing testimony. And really, we have the same opportunity when we refuse to bow down to the idol, literally, of gold today. People will see the difference if we refuse to pay homage to the almighty dollar. So it's an opportunity to preach the gospel. And on the other hand, it's wonderful to be free from all that. Wouldn't you rather be free from all that? But It's an opportunity also for us to evaluate honestly the place that Jesus has in our heart. Not in our wallets, but in our hearts. To ask ourselves whether, which really is more of my theme song as judged by my behavior. If I were a rich woman, if I were a rich man, or Christ is enough, the song we're going to close with in our service today. So the point is, if you're tired then of living under the tyranny of almighty dollar, if you're tired of settling for a second-rate happiness, if you're tired of the insecurity of trusting in deceitful wealth, as somebody put it, go climb a tree. (laughs) You know, the the answer really, there's all sorts of things that we can do. Uh, We can take classes like uh, Financial Peace University, which we'd highly recommend. There'll be another class, I'm sure, starting after the first of the year. And you can uh, take care to budget properly and things like that. But the main thing we need to do to experience what Zacchaeus experienced is to climb a tree where we can see Christ better, to have a better look at Jesus, and to have him continue to transform our hearts and our minds in everything in life, but particularly as we're talking about it today, money. And the bottom line is this, folks, really, and this is what we need to grasp, is that if we think money is going to buy us happiness, it just doesn't. If you don't believe me or if you don't believe Scripture, uh, Christmas is coming, and so you'll get the chance to see or read again a Christmas carol and things like Charlie Brown's Christmas, and they all say that. So listen as uh, Christmas season comes upon you and relearn those lessons. But as Kevin mentioned at the start, we're going to close with Isaiah 55 again and see the amazing invitation that our Lord has for us here. There he says, Come all you who are thirsty. 
Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. He has riches beyond every bit of money on earth uh, could buy. And yet it's offered to us for free. Money can't buy it. And yet it's offered to us free of charge. It's there simply for the taking. Let's take the Lord up on his great offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you so much for the fact that we are rich beyond imagining because of what you've given us in Christ. And Father, I pray that each one of us would come to a greater understanding of who you are and how awesome you are and what a treasure we have in you. Lord, enable us to see the blessings that we have in being your children, the blessings that we have in knowing that nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ, the treasure that we have knowing that there's an inheritance coming our way and that we can deal with whatever we have to deal with now knowing what's coming. So many ways that you have blessed us, Lord. Help us to have our eyes open to all of that, to see how truly blessed that we are and how rich we are, that we might be freed from the tyranny, from the deceitfulness of wealth. So, Father, help us to use it aright. Thank you for the gifts that you do give us, and uh, help us to use them wisely and to use them to further your kingdom. And uh, to that end, Lord, we now pray for uh, the tithes and offerings we are giving to you. Would you use them? to spread this gospel of peace throughout the world, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.